Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's lineup, Brian Kelly, Dan Suzuki of Richard Bernstein, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Dami. We are awaiting the pricing of two tech unicorns set to start trading tomorrow. We should have big news from Pinterest and Zoom in moments. We will bring you the details. Plus, it's a healthcare headache. The sector turning negative for the year, getting slammed today, down another 3%. We will tell you what's wrong with this group. We start off with a celebration for investors today. The Nasdaq 100 hitting an all-time high for the first time since October 1st as tech and specifically the chips have led the way back from the December lows. But take a look at some of the Nasdaq heavyweights, Facebook, Netflix, Apple, Amazon, still nearly 10% or more off their record high. So will those names catch up with the rest of tech? What do you buy now, Guy? Well, first of all, there's some people that watch you. They might be getting married later this year in the fall. Typically, fall's a nice time to get married. And a lot of them will think to play that song that we just played. Nobody yeah. would think to play this song. This song it's, is so old, Guy. Yeah, it's so yeah. old. It's so awful as well. Right. That and We Are Family, that Sister Sledge song. So I encourage you folks, if you're thinking about it, don't, don't. do it. The more you number know. one. Agreed. The more you know. Yeah. Great way yeah. to start the show. The exactly. Welcome, Dan. Welcome, Welcome Dan. to you, Dan. Thank you. Oh, what was the question? No, I know what the question is. Can, these, <laughs> can the tech heavyweights catch up? Listen, they've levitated, done a great job. Facebook scares me here. But there are some names, I think, that still make sense. We had a similar lead to the show about a month and a half, two months ago, when you asked me that question. I said, there's an under-the-radar stock in tech that people haven't looked at that was $230 right before President Trump started these tariffs, traded down to $130. I think it has room to the upside, and that was Lamb Research. You wake up today, it's $195. They report on April 24th. 5G now is all the rage, as we have talked about now for the last couple months. And at 13 times forward, earnings, it's a reasonable valuation. So if you're looking for a place that not a lot of people talk about that still has room into earnings, it's LRCX. Is it troubling, though, and I turn to you, Dan, that some of these big, the largest cap companies in the NASDAQ 100 aren't quite there yet? Uh, I don't know that that's troubling in a sense, but I do think that it's, it's, it's actually to be expected. If you think about it, we talked about this last time I was on the show. Tech is the most cyclical sector out there. It's more cyclical than industrials on a lot of different metrics. So the fact that you know, some of these stocks haven't done well, I think some of these stocks are actually very cyclical. And that you, look at, you look at this quarter's earnings, you know, tech's earnings are going to be down, what, 10%? That's what's basically uh, baked into consensus right now. I mean, people forget that these are cyclical stocks and the profit cycle is slowing right now. So I think that you know, people need to recognize that. And a lot of these stocks that you mentioned are some of the ones where they're seeing the hit. Apple is a great example of that. You know what worries me more than those ones lagging is the fact that the semiconductor index, SMH, did what looks to me like a blow-off top today. So if you get slowing earnings and a vertical-type stock market, at least in the semis, and they have been the leaders of this market. Remember, they topped out and started going lower before the October-November swoon. To me, it, these look very, very frothy. Wait, we, so we played Celebration at the top of the show, which is yeah. supposed to be something very good. Right, exactly. Oh, actually, no, no. I don't think it's that good. This is all I think tech's going to catch down to stuff like Apple. Not catch yeah, up. I agree. I mean, I agree with both of them that in that you talk about cyclicality. To me, semiconductor names are going to be much more cyclical than a fang type of name. And so I agree the euphoria there. 
I don't really get. I don't know if the fangs are too cheap. The ones that I own, of course, I think are cheap, right? That, that's always <laughs> the way it is. But for me, Alphabet, Facebook, those represent real value. And so I'm long those. I hope it's that they go up and that the, the semis don't, don't collapse. I, or not collapse, but don't come in a lot. That's where I think the value is. I wouldn't be chasing semis here. So then to, to sort of key off what these guys are saying, do you then want to move into the more value area of the cyclical sectors at this point? For example, the banks. The banks. I mean, that's the most valuable in the most cyclical sector, right? And obviously the banks have had a nice run. I'm, I'm surprised by how well they traded. But I look at it and maybe it makes a little bit of sense. You know, you look at Goldman Sachs now basically hovering around 208. That's basically their book value of the stock when they reported a couple days ago. So, you know, banks that are trading book value, yeah, you can see how that makes sense. J.P. Morgan, on the other hand, which is trading almost now two times price to tangible book, which is a different conversation, you have to wonder, is that ahead of itself? So I'm not necessarily sure the banks are raging by here, but to push back on tech a little bit, you know, Facebook has been impervious to every piece of bad news that's come across the helm, and there's been a lot of it over the last couple months. You have to wonder, at a certain point, given the run, is the bad news going to catch up? And I think it will. The only thing saving Facebook, in my opinion, is the fact that advertisers don't have any place to go in a meaningful way. If that were ever to change... Look out below on Facebook, well, my opinion. That's major. And Procter & Gamble CEO, actually, I think it was a week or a week and a half ago, actually said that he was re-examining, they were mm. re-examining their ad spend because of all sort of the negative press around it. I mean, we're right. just, we're not too long away from Facebook's earnings and a lot we're of not and and well. well i mean to me facebook has some it is idiosyncratic issues in that they're trying to combine all these platforms and it's unclear if that's going to work not only that they're trying to have this privacy first and again when you're trying to do that i don't want to call it a turnaround story but it reminds me very much of a turnaround story so i don't think it's going to trade as much with the market it may be a good value but if i look at the fangs in them to me, Apple is the one that actually looks the best if you're looking to buy something. And I actually think that's more defensive than anything else because of their relatively steady earnings streak. So, Dan, is this all a cue for investors to say, you know, I want to be in the cyclical areas of the market, but I want to be in those that are more value-oriented at this point? Uh, I actually would kind of disagree with the whole thesis okay. altogether. I think that, uh, you know, when the profit cycle is slowing, you don't want to own cyclicals because those are the things that are going to have the worst earnings trends. And I think that, you know, it doesn't matter if they're value cyclicals or high-growth cyclicals. I think you want to just really tone down your optimism on the whole space. So this whole, the bid, the recent bid in bank stocks, for instance, Well, yeah, bad, bad news there. Well, I think what's happening this year, and we talked about this last time, is that, you know, everybody's getting caught out on this what's been going on this year trade, right? You know, tech is one of the best performing sectors. All the cyclicals are doing really well. Well, if you look at it, it's just a reversal of what happened in the fourth quarter last year. So, you know, people are assuming that what's happening this year is about this today's fundamentals. It's actually about fourth quarter fundamentals and reversing that. So if you take that out of it, the cyclicals haven't done that well. I mean, look at it as with, with nine, you know, the end of the third quarter is the start date. You know, the cyclicals haven't done that well on that from that respect. I think that focusing on the defensive stuff, that's going to be the stuff that looking for the, at the rest of the year is going to be the stuff that matters more. So I think that the banks are a, a proxy for the U.S. economy, or well, depending on the bank, but for the U.S. economy, let's just say. And I think that, so even with rates having come in, they've still shown that they can be profitable. And I think they've also shown that they don't deserve that low of a PE, that the valuation is just too cheap, even if you think that the margins are going to be pressed. So that, that's a positive to me. Looking at something like a, a, an industrial or cyclical like URI, which I own, 
Big earnings out tonight. Really, they're just reaffirming, though, and the stock's up a lot. People were very nervous that the economy is slowing, and it looks like they have a call tomorrow at 11, but it looks like what they're telling you is they're not seeing that. They're seeing strength out there. And so I think that as long as we continue to see good economic data, good earnings, I think the market does have more to run. However, I'm a little nervous with the VIX in here. I got to buy more puts. Right. And so the point is we didn't, we had good economic news. That's what concerned me today is we had good economic news from China. If you had told me that we were going to have a trade deal signed by the end of May, I would have told you the Dow would have been up 300 points today. It didn't even move the Dow whatsoever. So at these levels, it doesn't seem like the drivers that have driven this up, you know, low interest rates by the Fed, the potential for a trade deal, an improving economy, all of those have been priced in. We need this new piece of information that's going to move the market. And my concern is with this rally, that new piece of information moves the market lower. And look at how the VIX traded today. It, it closed near the highs of the day. I mean, the question is, with all this said, could a China trade deal actually be a sell the news event with where we are in the cycle, yes. with where valuations are I right think so. Now, with a lack of reaction in the markets to any trade headlines. Or, I mean, it could just be that the markets are inured to all these various headlines that have come out every day there's a headline well there's clearly diminishing marginal returns when you know larry kudlow goes out there and talks about we're closer to trade deal steve mnuchin says that president trump tweets about it a few months ago it's worth a few hundred dow points now it doesn't seemingly move the need at all to be case points so i would agree with that said we're one and a half percent or so from an all-time high in the s p and the market continues to levitate here in my opinion mostly because our central bank our federal reserve totally about face two and a half, three months ago. I mean, that to me has been the big driver and the hope of a China trade deal. But again, I'll say this, you know, the Chinese market has come raging back. And the data has come raging back. So why would the, again, my opinion, why would the Chinese be in such a hurry to to make a deal with the United States right now? Because if they don't, their market will go down a lot. I I, I also think you got to, this is a longer term thing, right? They can't try to time the market. Right. when you do it. But when you have, for instance, like their banks lending the equivalent of the GDP of Switzerland mm-hmm. year to date, I mean, right. that, things like but that help. Also, remember, <laughs> we've got another fight on our hands with Europe, potentially. I mean, and I don't think it's going to stop there. I mean, you've got a president who fights with dead guys. They're going to certainly fight with everybody else <laughs> in the world. So I think that's a big risk to the market. I, I think the, the one thing you want to, you know, that you're talking about is like, should you buy the S&P here? Should you buy cyclicals here with the China data coming out? Good. Why don't you just go buy China, right? Because if, if the data is improving in China, the data is getting worse, I would argue, in the U.S., then the simple answer is don't talk about buying U.S. cyclicals on the China trade. Just go buy China. because I think there's still a lot more room to run. Or there. one step removed. Would you buy Europe? Uh, no, I mean, so you can buy the second derivative play, but why buy the second derivative play when you can buy the first derivative play? I think yeah. there's plenty of upside there. I, I mean, I, I think the thing is Europe's already run a bit too, right? So to me, China has probably the more upside. If you want to look like copper had a great breakout, that tends to be kind of a China proxy in a sense. You could probably look at like Freeport Mac, FCX. That might be some way to play it. But to, but to Dan's point, why not just buy the, why not buy the Shanghai? It's a fantastic day. And it's got a ton of room to run. All right. Well, the healthcare sector has been feeling some hurt lately. It's our chart of the day. In fact, check out the group turning negative for the year. It's the worst performing sector in the S&P 500. The cause, the health insurers like UNH, Cigna, Anthem, and Humana all down again today, weighing on the sector. One of our traders thinks healthcare might be the cure. And you mentioned, you alluded to this, defensive. 
Yeah, I think when the profit cycle is slowing, you got to buy more defensive sectors. I mean, you talked about industrials, you talk about tech, you talk about financials. Uh, tech and financials are two of the three worst performing sectors as the profit cycle is slowing. So I think healthcare makes a lot of sense. You know, we look at profits, liquidity, and sentiment. Profits and revenue growth, top and top line growth for the healthcare sector is probably the best or one of the best in the S&P. They're seeing they're the only sector where analysts are actually taking up top line and bottom line estimates, and they're cheap on basically every metric you have. So I think you know there's a huge demographic story in there, and to get that demographic story at a discount to history, I think is a great opportunity because it's trading off of headline risk. This is not new news. I mean, this is probably going to be uh, part of the sector's story for a long time, is that political, it's going to be a very political hot-button issue, especially as we get closer to the election, but this is not dissimilar to the fact that when, you know, a couple of years ago, Hillary tweeted about drug pricing, she's going to crack down on that weight on the sector in the near term, but over the long term, if profit cycles are slowing and the profits are going to hold up well, that's what we're focused on. I think that that'll do well for the sector. You bought Anthem I just did. the other day. I had some uh, going into this, and uh, and then I bought some two days ago. I tried to buy some today. I tried to actually buy some options today. They were kind of thin and wide, so unfortunately I didn't get anything done. You know, I think that this is really, really overdone. Obviously, two days ago, it was I bought it at a much worse price than it is today. But everything you're saying, I mean, these are great companies. They're profitable companies. They are in a, a sort of... I don't know, vortex of negative news. And so I like it when things trade down by integers or tens of, in, right, $10 right. at a time. Now, I, I've had enough liking it. I, I'd prefer it to sort of <laughs> bottom out right now. But I think it's very attractive here. I think you're going to see this die down. We've seen this threat several times before over the last, uh, ever since Obamacare, actually. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think we'll see it die down. And th there's value here, tremendous value. These are great companies. When, PBMs I'm concerned about. When are the elections, Guy? Not when, a trick question. When are the elections? <laughs> Not a trick question. It's November, <laughs> November 2020. Is yes. that right? Do you can, think they, can they do that ding, ding? When <laughs> yeah. 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 Trade it. Yeah. Got it. Brilliant. Why do I ask? Why I do I ask I'm that? Because you wanted to make me look foolish on that. <laughs> no, I knew that you knew it. Obviously, I don't know, I'm just asking a question. Because the headline risks to this group will last through at least. Yeah, I disagree. I agree with that November in some ways. I disagree with that. Go ahead, Go Karen. I wanted to add one other point. Sure. Anthem, uh, you know, I just looked, they have $5 billion left in their buyback. I did call them today. I didn't hear back from them. I wanted to know maybe they'll increase their buyback. I don't think they'll be out there before they report. But it wouldn't be surprising for me to see some of these HMOs out there, these managed care companies, do big buybacks with the stock tier. But you are correct. I mean, you have obviously until November 2020 where this will be in the crosshairs to a certain degree. I think it'll wane in terms of the rhetoric. But, you know, you look at UNH, for example. Look at the quarter yesterday. It was an outstanding quarter. They didn't really, they actually raised guidance. You have a stock that now is trading at 13 times forward earnings. The last five-year average has been 17. It's traded as much as 21 times forward earnings. That's the good news. Bad news is 96% of the analysts out there have a buy on it. I don't think there are any sells on it, which is... A bit of a problem because now you might have some analysts reversing numbers. That being said, I mean, you're talking about trough valuations at a company that's still doing extraordinarily well where people are now just shooting first, asking questions later. So I think you have to be on board. I don't think any of this stuff is going to go through. The rhetoric's going to die down. And in a couple months from now, we'll say UNH, wherever it is now, 220 or something was a gift. And look at the broad sector ETF XLV, right? Look at how that traded today. Huge volume on this kind of puke type of thing. And in my experience, when I want to, when I feel like I want to, vomit on my shoes. Oh. Those are the best <laughs> trades. So that's what today in healthcare look like.
All right, we've got some breaking news in the cannabis space for Reed Week, ironically. Uh, cannabis growth is near a deal to buy acreage holdings. Uh, this would add to the flurry of deals we've seen in the space. Uh, according to sources close to the company, the two have been in talks for the past two weeks. They're scheduled to have a call tonight to finalize the deal and possibly announce this deal as early as tomorrow morning. But uh, this deal came together very quickly. Canopy Growth was actually looking at other multi-state operators here in the United States. And if you think more broadly about this deal and what this means for the industry. Remember that Constellation Brands is a major shareholder and stakeholder in Canopy Growth. This effectively allows Constellation Brands to have a piece of the U.S. cannabis market. So it is believed by industry insiders that this could be the template for a lot more of these types of deals to happen for U.S. major companies to have a piece of the U.S. cannabis market. So that is what we're watching tonight. Um, We'll have more details as to some of the other targets uh, that had been approached by Canopy uh, later on. And also, we've got Ben Kovler, the CEO of Green Thumb Industries. Later this hour, we'll get his take on what this could mean. But this could be a major deal. Again, Canopy Growth buying acreage holdings. It it could be. Not only this could be a a big deal, but as you mentioned, the template for other ways to get into this. Many companies have been trying to figure out what is kind of the most most, best legal way to kind of get into this without running into any issues. This could be the way that they do it. It could pump up valuations, but it could be good for a trade here in this entire space because the whole space will likely trade higher as the market tries to reassess what they're valued, what their takeover value is. All right. Okay, we'll continue following this. Meantime, we've got some breaking news. Zoom pricing its IPO moments ago. Let's get the Leslie Picker at headquarters for the pricing. Les. Hey, Melissa. This is according to a source familiar with the pricing discussions. I'm told that Zoom has priced its IPO at $36 a share. That implies an offering size of about $751 million, a valuation of $9.2 billion on the market cap. Uh, now, this is higher than a range that they boosted earlier this week, pricing about a dollar above the up to uh, range. Now, I'm told that this IPO could have priced even higher than that based on the demand that came in the door, but the company wanted to remain conservative to ensure a decent debut tomorrow. Guys. All right. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker back at headquarters. So this was expected for this company, software company, to price above the range. Anybody following this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was pri- privately they had this thing valued at a billion dollars. What did Leslie just say this valued at now? Close to nine billion dollars. So I mean, think about it. I mean, that's yeah. pretty remarkable. <laughs> I mean, so you talk about deals that are going really well. I mean, that might be one of them. I think Pinterest, which, as you know, I have a page, and we <laughs> play traded or faded yeah. or value. What would it? What did we play the other day? Trade value, trade, value, trade, value, trade, value, trade, value, 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 trade. But actually, Karen makes a good point. It's not a value at all. No, it's not. On valuation. I mean, yeah. 225 so million users, cat. 60% revenue growth out of a billion users in a couple of years, and they went slow and steady, Pinterest. I know, because I've had a page for at least the last six <laughs> I feel like years. I feel like that means you shouldn't buy it. Like, that would be a terrible investment. That the thing at Top Door, I mean, I don't, I, Pinterest should really contact you to have you take your page down. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow, you are really... Laughter is fantastic. (laughs) Well, the one thing about the Zoom pricing, though, I think it probably erases the negative negative, uh, tone from the Lyft pricing, right? It went above range here. People were concerned that maybe these unicorns wouldn't be able to come out and perform. We'll see how it trades, obviously, but I think this is just generally a positive sign for the IPO market. I I think the big difference is it makes money, right? So that's... 
apparently Something's something back. that's now in vogue. <laughs> yeah. For a while, you didn't need to do that. So I don't know, that, that makes a big difference. But I think it'll be very interesting to see how uh, Zoom trades tomorrow versus Pinterest. I mean, that's a... I know it's a lot of EBITDA, a lot of growth, but still it's a lot of losses too. All right, coming up, Zoom, as we mentioned, pricing moments ago. We're still awaiting Pinterest, and the CEO Casper is here as the mattress delivery giant is gearing up for its IPO. Plus, Las Vegas Sands is jumping after our, the company reporting earnings moments ago. We'll tell you what Wall Street is saying about the quarter. And later, there is one Dow stock sitting near all-time highs, gearing up for earnings tomorrow. Traders are betting it is about to crash. We'll tell you the name. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. There is a food fight breaking out on Wall Street. Morgan Stanley making a pair of big calls today, upgrading Domino's Pizza while downgrading Chipotle after the stock's 60% sizzle in 2019. And a shake-up for Shake Shack getting a downgrade from Longbow after shares soared past its 12-month price target. And check out the Golden Arches mm. serving up a fresh all-time high this week as that stock continues to grind higher. So if you want to dig into fast food, where do you go? And ironically, I asked Karen this. You doesn't eat fast <laughs> right. food. But, but if I did, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd probably go to McDonald's. I mean, it's, it's not expensive relative to some of the other names, and obviously they've been executing really well. I mean, Chipotle, kudos to them. They've done a fantastic job, but I feel like they are, on, I mean, they are on the high wire now. Any tiny miss, and the expectations are very high, could really send the stock lower, even though they've really executed also and done a fantastic job. I would just rather be in McDonald's. I feel like the risk-reward is more attractive. Well, kudos to Piper Jaffrey. Nicole Regan said she's been the axe in CMG for the last couple hundred dollars. Good for her. I mean, I think valuation is ridiculous in CMG, but I've thought that now for the last $150. So R-O-N-G wrong. But even McDonald's now is getting a little rich. They report on April 30th. Close to 22 times forward earnings, which has historically it's sort of the, the loftier, frothier end for them. So they better crush it on April 30th. But to your point earlier, it continues to be slow and steady to the upside. So maybe the trade in McDonald's will stay with it up until earnings, pull the ripcord before they report. But also remember, McDonald's is rolling out their tech platform, right? I mean, if you look at what happened, Domino's Pizza was the first person to do it. Then multiple different restaurant chains started to integrate tech. And that's what McDonald's is doing just now. And if there's, you know, the the other companies are a guide, one might think that their their sales and earnings are going to increase quite a bit because of this. So I would stick with the McDonald's. When things are slowing, is a dollar menu defensive? Yeah, we probably within the discretionary space and within restaurants, definitely McDonald's would operate more like a Staples company. You know, I, I would just be a little bit, uh, I'd, be, I'd be cautious overall on those types of names because they're cyclical, right? So I think that, you know, if the economy is doing worse, uh, you want to avoid those types of restaurants. Typically, you know, the, the big debate right now is, is, is the economy slowing? Are, is, are people going to start losing their jobs? You've seen some bouncing around of jobless claims. If that happens, then I think you want to be way more cautious on those types of names. To your point on technology, I mean, they're not, McDonald's isn't going to be the first, uh, you know, restaurant to roll out uh, technology. There's a lot of other restaurants who, who will remain nameless, but they, they have terrible, terrible apps that I won't use. So, I mean, I, th- <laughs> so could backfire. I, I, yeah. think, I, think, I think Starbucks has a good one. 
I think McDonald's yeah. has a, uh, I, I think that. Um, so you don't go to Chuck E. Cheese. I do. <laughs> Their app is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> For more on the big analyst calls of the day and which stocks had the biggest moves, go to CNBC.com. Still ahead, the IPO boom is in full gear as Zoom just priced above its range moments ago. And we await Pinterest. We'll talk to the CEO of Casper as the mattress delivery giant could be gearing up for its IPO. We'll ask them. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. IPO Madness is in full swing. Two tech unicorns pricing tonight. Zoom coming out above the range. We're still awaiting Pinterest. Leslie Picker joins us now with the latest. Leslie. Hey, Melissa. Zoom just priced its IPO at $36 per share, according to a person familiar with the discussions that values the video conferencing provider above $9 billion. The company had raised the range it initially marketed to investors on strong demand, and the $36 per share was above that boosted range. Now, Pinterest is is set to finalize its own IPO price during a meeting that begins in about a half an hour or so. I'm told that one was also in demand from investors and aims to price above the range it had been marketing as well. Now, combined, those two companies could unleash more than $2 billion worth of stock into the marketplace, and they could represent a nice reset for the tech IPO market as Lyft continues to trade below issue price, although performed quite well today. Uh, But these two and every IPO comes with embedded risks, of course, especially for retail investors who tend to get a much smaller proportion of the allocation, even though they seek allocation in brand names like Pinterest. Now, the trading tomorrow should also provide a sense of how investors feel about profit. Pinterest posted losses last year, although they were narrowing, while Zoom was profitable. Both companies are showing top-line growth more than doubling year over year. Now, Zoom will be listed on the NASDAQ under the symbol ZM. Pinterest will be listed on the NYSE under the symbol P-I-N-S. Melissa. All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker uh, in the newsroom. Brian Kelly. That's me. For the markets overall. Will this help with sentiment? I think I think it does help a bit. We'll have to see. I think what will be interesting here, the fact that, that Zoom traded, paid, traded above or priced above is very good. But we'll have to see how they both trade because, to Karen's point, we'll get what the market feels like about whether you want to have real earnings 
or whether you want to have kind of growth and that network effect. And so far, Lyft has said maybe that's not the best thing. We'll see what happens when Pinterest starts trading. All right. Well, the next tech unicorn could be just around the corner. Casper is a mattress delivery firm that is now valued at more than a billion dollars. And it's been reported that the company has recently hired underwriters for its very own IPO. So when will it jump aboard the IPO mania? We are joined now by Philip Krim, the co-founder and CEO of Casper. Philip, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. So when are you going public? Because apparently you've hired the underwriters. And no comment on Casper IPO, but it's certainly great to see the demand for companies like Zoom, like Pinterest. Uh, we certainly think the IPO market is open and robust, and it's great to see some, so much excitement. There are a handful of other online, direct-to-consumer mattress companies. So how do you differentiate amongst them? What if they all decide to say, you know what, we're all going public here? <laughs> we actually think Casper stands alone. We really consider ourselves a sleep company. Everything we do is about helping our customers sleep better. We think end-to-end about sleep. It's about getting a great mattress, but it's about everything that could help you sleep. In January, we launched a technology product, a lighting product, that actually helps you wake up better, fall asleep better. And we're trying to take products to market that are end-to-end about sleep solutions. So we want to be the world's first global sleep brand, and we think we're well on our way to doing that. So not that you look at companies that are publicly traded, but if you did, which ones would you say is similar to you, not necessarily being a mattress company, but the idea of what you're trying to create? You know, we actually think we're really one of the first of our kind, meaning we were a digitally native business. We launched online with Casper.com, but we're actually now scaling our business offline as well. We've opened up 23 retail stores. We have great partners with folks like Target. And we believe that we will have a business where no matter how consumers want to shop for our products, we have great products and great experiences. And we actually think there's really not a public company comp that's done that journey. So, oh, go ahead, BK. You, you, you announced a new mattress, which has the mattress, has the box springs in it, the metal. When you ship those, does that change your margins on those mattress versus what you've been doing in the past? So yesterday we launched our hybrid line, which is actually the combination of interspring technology and foam technology. And we launched two different models around that. For us, we're actually still able to compress those mattresses, ship them anywhere in the country. And they're really phenomenal products that were in development for over a year in our Casper Labs program, which is based in San Francisco. And from a cost structure, it works just the same way as our, our foam mattresses. You can compress it. You could ship it anywhere. It's super fun to open, and they sleep really, really great. Can we quickly talk about the upsell then? Obviously, it's a technology company. Matt, I get it, but somebody buys a mattress. Are they buying those lighting projects? Are they buying the pillows? Are they buying the, the sheets? P- you mean the pillows. <laughs> pillows. Pillows. <laughs> pillows. My because pillow. people might hear pillow you know, it's funny. and not I, understand I, I, what that is. There's certain things I have trouble saying, like pillow is what I said. I know it's definitely a dress. A a pillow. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I forgot my question. Hopefully, he remembered. Are people well, buying it? We make great pillows. We make great sheets. We make great lighting products. And we are seeing higher and higher attachment rates as we launch new products. And we're seeing repeat revenue increase dramatically as we launch new and new products. We're only a five-year-old company. Actually, this month, we launched April of 2014. And as we get our customers to be a little bit more mature, we're seeing them come back time and time again to buy mattresses, but to buy our full suite of products. And that's really exciting for us. Um, I am old-fashioned when it comes to buying something like a mattress. I mean, I'll, I'll buy everything else online, including food. Um, and shampoo, but not a mattress. So if I order it and I don't want it, that's a pain in the you know what <laughs> to return, to send back. We actually no? changed the way that you would return it. So in the industry, traditionally, yes, it's a huge pain. But with us, you call us up and we'll come pick up the mattress. You don't even have to pack it back up, nothing. We'll come pick it up, we donate it locally, and we appreciate that you gave us a shot. 
We also are changing the way that people shop for the products. We have our, our Casper.com website where you can learn all about these great products, but we have 23 stores that we've opened. We're opening up over a dozen this quarter, two this week in fact. And those stores are a great complement to the online experience. So no matter how you want to shop for our products, we want to solve for so that. So given all those embedded costs, including no the potential... Uh, <laughs> yes, no pun intended. Are you making money on every mattress you sell? So we don't break out profitability overall, but Casper has a great product. We have a great business model. And we're seeing that by taking it to market, both online and offline, that it's actually growing our online business in a very efficient way. So we think this, this go-to-market strategy is working well. We're in the early days of scaling it, but we believe we can keep building this out for years to come. Philip, thanks for joining us. Appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having Philip me. Philip Krim, the thanks. CEO of Casper. Would you ever buy a mattress online? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? It comes right to your door. You unfold the thing, gets out there. It's better than an air mattress. Of course I would do that. I mean, <laughs> so it's an upgrade to what you have now. Exactly. <laughs> you guys don't sleep on air mattresses? <laughs> right. uh, or futons. Speaking of unicorns, why in the world, why in the world is Guy Adami wearing a unicorn onesie? A unicorn onesie. Look at that. We'll tell you what that's all about later on in the show. And trust me, you will not want to miss that. Plus, check out Shares of Canopy Growth, the pot stock soaring after hours. We reported just moments ago that Canopy is near a deal to buy acreage holdings. We'll tell you what that could mean for the rest of the cannabis space. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Las Vegas Sands. Shares of the company getting a boost after reporting earnings. Let's get to Contessa Brewer back at headquarters with more on this. Contessa. Hi there, Melissa. Yeah, strong quarter for Las Vegas Sands across the board. The company gets most of its revenue stream from China. This earnings report is the poster child for the engine that is fueling profits in Macau. It's not the so-called whales driving the profits. It's the premium mass and mass gambling segments. This was a challenging quarter in Macau. Uh, the comps from 2018 were strong. The smoking ban obviously began this quarter. China macro concerns are out there, uh, and VIP clearly is softening. And yet, against this backdrop, we delivered our best quarter since uh, 2014. In fact, set a record in mass table uh, spend there, up 13% over last year. The company is investing $3.3 billion, expanding Marina Bay Sands in Singapore. The company says it's running 98% occupancy there. This expansion will offer thousands of new suites, high-end entertainment, top-tier retail, and it's all aimed at attracting affluent tourists who make up premium mass. Dan Waziolik of Morningstar says VIP is a concentrated market that often depends on a few larger players. So Quarter to quarter, results can be lumpy. In fact, LVS president Rob Goldstein called the VIP segment volatile. He said it does not present the best growth opportunities. The company says it's investing heavily in Las Vegas as well. Group business there is strong. It's launching the Sphere. That's kind of the sports arena in partnership with MSG. And one final note, Melissa, Sheldon Adelson was not on this call. It's the second earnings call in a row that he's missed. He's being treated for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And a company spokesman told me this week the treatment makes him tired, but added that he is still involved in board and company decisions. Okay. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer back at headquarters. So if you look at this China data and you think it is turning to the upside... Oh, it's definitely turning. I mean, yeah, we, yeah. we talked about this when wind was uh, 105 or so. We started talking about this, the fact that the Chinese were throwing the kitchen sink at their economy and they were going to probably be successful in getting their asset prices back up. That's come to fruition. Now you say, all right, wind's had a pretty decent move. Las Vegas Sands has a good move. Is there room to the upside? And I would submit yes. Now, LVS at 19 times, a little more expensive than wind. 
good quarter. This was an $80 stock a few months ago. I think that's where it's going back to. Yeah, Wynn has some domestic exposure, too, so you might offset any problems you might have in China. Also, if you want to just go basically purely uh, U.S., MGM is probably the way to play that. That has had a pretty nice run. Probably it hasn't run as much as Las Vegas Sands has, so you may want to go that way as well. But I think the whole space looked, it sets up well here. Does this fall into the category of... If you want to play China, play China. Yeah, absolutely. I think you can predict exactly what I'm going to say. So, did. <laughs> yeah. So, Back so, to you. <laughs> casinos, casino spending is notoriously, you know, discretionary. It doesn't get really much more discretionary than gambling. Uh, but I do like the, chi- the China aspect of it. But again, if I want to invest in, in the China growth story, I'd rather just go buy China. All right. Coming up, check out shares of Canopy Growth near the highs of the after-hour session. The stock is jumping, as we reported moments ago, that it is a near a deal to buy acreage holdings as soon as tomorrow. We'll bring you the details right after this break. And it is a one Dow stock trading near all-time highs that traders are betting could plunge tomorrow. We'll give you the name and tell you what has them so bearish. Welcome back to Fast Money. Moments ago, we reported that Canopy Growth is near a deal to buy acreage holdings uh, in the stocks. You see they're jumping across the board in the after-hour session. This adds to the flurry of deals we've already seen in the space. And, of course, it is Weed Week on Fast Money, and we're going to keep the uh, good times rolling, so to speak, with our next guest, who's not only an heir to the Jim Beam bourbon fortune, but also the founder and CEO of a booming cannabis company. Ben Kovler of Green Thumb Industries joins us now. Ben, great to have you with us. Great. Um, first, what are your thoughts on this deal? I mean, this is a great day, I would think, for the multi-state operators because the argument had always been that they are trading at a discount to their Canadian cousins because here it's not federally legal, and so it limits their options. Yeah, this only reinforces what we've been talking about for so long, that the opportunity in cannabis is here in the U.S., and this is where the market is. This is a 50 to $80 billion industry where total market capitalization is still under $15 billion. So it's a really exciting time. And you can see that the U.S. is where the operators want to be. And it's not only Canadian cannabis operators, but it's food and beverage, alcohol, tobacco, CPG businesses that are studying the space. So basically, they will find a way to get around uh, the restrictions on their business in investing in a federally illegal business, is what you're thinking. Everybody is studying it. In order to have success, you have to have access to capital, and it's about the cost of capital. And so we've built a business in the U.S. in limited licensed markets across the country where everybody else has been restricted from accessing. And so the tide has changing, and the things are moving, and it's quite an exciting time. You take a look at this deal in particular, though, in this space and what it means for you, and you see Constellation having a, a stake in Canopy, Canopy buying a multi-state operator. And do you think now that your options in terms of who you might combine with down the road, either it be sooner or later, um, has actually widened. We have to see what the details of this deal are and exactly how it's structured and what it means for shareholders, what it means for the business. The way we look at things at GTI is through our lens and what's best for our shareholders and how we create value. So I'll be really interested to study the details of this. Have you been approached by Canopy? We, we are talking to lots of people in all kinds of sectors. The phone rings a lot. It's an exciting time in U.S. cannabis because this is where the opportunity is. Okay. So uh, in, in terms of where you think it's most promising, I mean, a lot of states are opening up. There are 33 states currently with some sort of legal uh, marijuana program, whether it be recreational or, or medical. Um, how do you look at licenses? Because, for instance, just because New York might legalize recreational, it might not be a market that could be profitable for you. Yeah, we spent a lot of time studying it. We built the business five years ago, 
operating in limited license markets, starting in Illinois, Nevada, Massachusetts, Maryland, and now in Pennsylvania, Ohio, New Jersey, Connecticut, all of which are studying and figuring out how to legalize, tax, and regulate. Fundamentally in the U.S., cannabis stands in the cross-section of the opioid epidemic that is killing people. Cannabis offers relief for that. And U.S. states that are bankrupt and need revenue. And cannabis is an opportunity for monstrous tax revenue. Do you think that case is really being borne out in that California, for instance, last year, the amount of state tax revenue they brought in from cannabis was about a third of what had been projected, and that there's actually so much competition from the, from the black market, which obviously doesn't have to pay overhead, they don't pay taxes or anything like that, um, that it's difficult for these businesses to thrive and to actually generate that tax revenue that states wanted to have. So California is an anomaly, the oldest and biggest market, but if you look at Nevada with over 100 million, Colorado with over 100 million, and you're about to see what's gonna happen in Massachusetts as adult use tax and regulate takes over, the dollars are very real. We're able to build schools and help communities. How important is capital at this point? I mean, capital is very difficult to come by for this industry at this point. How important is capital uh, in terms of being able to buy the licenses in the states that open up? So part of our edge is able to win a license in, in a competitive application process. For example, New Jersey had 146 applicants last year. We finished second. So we're able to win a license which is most accretive to our shareholders. That's everything we do but we're studying the market for licenses and M&A. We've been very active in the M&A environment, and it's an exciting opportunity because we can get real synergies through acquisitions. What do you think happens tomorrow with your stock? And I'm, I'm asking this in sort of a, a broader sense in that this deal will theoretically highlight the value or the discount that multi-state operators were trading at versus Canadian companies. Yeah, we went public a year ago on that discount, knowing the opportunity is here. I think tomorrow is another step along the way of the U.S. investors starting to understand that the opportunity is in U.S. MSOs that are listed in Canada, but this is where the opportunity is, and so I think you see continued interest in the space. Is your phone ringing as we speak? <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. All right. Ben, thanks a lot for joining us. We Thank appreciate you. Ben Kovler of GTI Green Thumb Industries. What's interesting, quickly, I mean, Constellation Brands, I mean, you look at a stock that really troughed late last year, earlier this year. It's been off to the races since. I'm not suggesting it's their investment in the industry, but it's got something to do with it, clearly. And to Ben's point, I mean, th there are so many industries going to be disrupted. We talked about cosmetics, spirits, beer, the whole thing. It's not going away anytime soon. Yeah, and if you look, just look at the sector in general, I think you get the valuations much higher because of this. Could spark a really big rally. All right. Uh, by the way, we'll have much more on the big Canopy deal tomorrow. I'll be speaking with the CEO of Canopy Growth, Bruce Linton, and the CEO of Acreage Holdings, Kevin Murphy. That's tomorrow. Squawk Box, 6.50 a.m. We'll have the details of the deal then. Coming up, this Dow stock is trading near an all-time high, but traders say this Dow stud could turn into a dud tomorrow. See what we did there? Stud into a dud. All right. We're live on NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money, a C-suite shakeup at J.P. Morgan. Marianne Lake will step down from her role as CFO and move on to become the CEO of Consumer Lending. Of course, there's been a lot of speculation that she could be the successor to Jamie Dimon. So how do you read these moves? I read this as actually this puts her in uh, potentially the pole position for that. I think that she's the CFO, but people would say, all right, she doesn't have operating experience. And this, this I think, would really give her that. It also certainly makes one wonder, with Wells Fargo looking for a CEO, did they come knock on her door? That wouldn't be shocking to anyone. And J.P. Morgan thinks, all right, we've got to solidify right. our, you know, our succession plan, even though 
I don't know how long Jamie will be there. I think he's fantastic, of course. But at some point, Jamie will leave. And then it also makes you wonder, all right, what about Gordon Smith? Very talented. He is 10 years. She's, I think, late 40s. He's late 50s. And Jamie, I think, is early 60s. So it, it's, it wouldn't be shocking to see her being set up to be the next CEO. Yeah. I mean, that was... I always thought that. that was, not always. I've thought for a while it would be her. And you wonder if Tim Sloan didn't step down, if all of this would have right. been in the works yes. anyway. I don't know. Yeah. All right. We don't know. All right. So let's stick with financials. American Express shares up nearly 20% and outperforming the rest of the financials this year. But one trader says the rally could come to an end when the company reports earnings tomorrow. Mike goes in San Francisco with the options action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah. So the options market's implying about a 3% move for American Express. That's about in line with what it has averaged over the past eight quarters. And when I was looking at the options activity at around 2.30, an hour and a half before the market closed, it had already traded about two and a half times the average daily volume. That bumped up to over four times the average daily volume by the time the market closed, therefore trading quite a lot uh, as the closing bell approached. And most of that activity was concentrated in the 111 and 107 puts that expire tomorrow. And the reason for that was that it was actually purchases of the 111 107 put spread included a block of a thousand of those that traded for a dollar 13. So that's somebody who's representing a, a bet of about one percent of the current stock price that the stock is going to fall possibly as low as 107, which would be a decline of a little over four percent after they report tomorrow. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Uh, we are off this Friday, by the way, but Options Action is back next Friday, 5:30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, wonder why Guy Adami has been wearing this unicorn onesie. It's not just what he wears around the house on a daily basis. We're going to tell you why. Right right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got some breaking snews for oh, you now. Oh, Earlier nice. we spoke to the CEO of Casper about its plans to go public. Our own Guy Adami did some investigative and undercover work to test out the latest Casper mattress. Mel, we've been talking about IPOs for the last month, it seems. And the buzzword has been unicorns. But as it turns out, some unicorns come in a box. We're going to find out if the Casper mattress is what dreams are made of or if it's a nightmare in the making. Let's go. So that was incredibly easy. Delivery, setup, all that's left is to get the bed made and put on my pajamas. Don't judge, but I'm comfortable. Now it's time to test this out. Let's get some rest. Lights out. <laughs> I don't even That's know where to begin. Yeah. Once again, you've been kicked out of the room yeah. for, by Linda. Oh, right, yeah. right. And, and rele relegated to the, my doors. Fantastic, though, wasn't it? I mean, isn't that the amazing? Of all, the, of all the ridiculous things I've done over the years, that's the most ridiculous by far. But I have my, this is when, when it's too light out, when you, you just put yeah. this in. Yeah. I like yeah. the eyelashes on there. You're also the ready to go public. <laughs> yeah, you should. Yeah, you should go public. You're speaking, a unicorn. Okay. <laughs> speaking of the rest of the show, final trade time, Brian Kelly. Oh, for me, TLT, be defensive in this market. Dan Suzuki. Healthcare profits are slowing. It's a good time to own. It's cheap, and it's one of the best long-term performing sectors out there. 
Karen Feinerman. Yeah, what he said, with a little more specificity. For me, I like <laughs> Anthem, although I did like it higher. Anthem calls. Unicorn guy. Earnings. I got to thank the P- I mean, <laughs> yeah, our crack great. staff. Bree Kelly came yes. to the house. She brought donuts and bagels, the whole thing. A lot of fun. Win Resorts, Melms. Yes, one more thing. Oh. Kate and William. Happy birthday. Happy oh birthday. My, guys. my little twins are now big twins. Happy birthday. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.